Hey, good morning. Hey, it is, um, I've been looking forward to and dreading this moment for weeks now. I've been looking forward to it because I'm just very much in faith and stirred in my own spirit about what God is doing um, in these lifelink churches gathered around Chicagoland. Isn't God been good? Amen. Yeah, let's just give the Lord a hand and just say thank you. I, um, I have just a, God's word is so rich, and I, I, I've got uh, Psalm 87 to share with us today. Um, I'm saying that I'm dreading it, though, because I always dread when I leave. I never like to leave home, and so this weekend my son got sick, and so my whole family had to say goodbye to him this morning, drag him out of get bed and say, say something nice and love me because I'm leaving for eight days, and they're like, oh, okay, goodbye, Dad. So um, these are, it's a bittersweet day. Uh, I want to just take a minute and really just honor a couple of folks. First of all, as we are today kind of doing the concluding celebration on our psalm series, uh, let's just give a special thanks to John Leitzel uh, and his leadership and his, yeah, organizing. <clears throat> John is particularly gifted in organizing campaigns like this, and uh, it was him that really led us through it and structured it and got the rest of us to write our um, our devotionals on time and stuff like that. So thanks, John, for leveraging your gifts for our benefit. We appreciate you very much. Um, I'd also like to just thank all the pastors, uh, from, uh, Dave Hamstra and Todd Casenza and Johnny, and um, I think even Alyssa Bostic got a little page into the devotional, didn't she? It was outstanding. Um, and so well done to everyone who wrote. Thank you. Good job. I am so, I'm just impressed by how somehow we ended up with a bunch of great leaders in our churches. And um, I was very just thankful to see in those devotionals the real heart of God coming through. And so good job for all those who wrote. Uh, Special thanks also to the children's ministry leaders who had to translate what we wrote into children's devotionals. And so they're a special gift among us. And so we're grateful to those who did that. So thank you, children's ministry. There's There's a covert group called Tsarinas that are amongst us. They are the lady secretaries of the churches who really have ultimate control of all the things that happen. And so they really helped administrate and get the booklets done and all those kind of things, keep everyone on a timeline. And so for Jenny and Becky and Jane, we thank you for all that you do. I also just want to honor for a moment um, Todd Pels and the worship teams. It has been such a blessing to see the worship teams crossing over to the different churches. And um, I hope if you're in a church, sometimes it's easy to get used to your own group, you know, and a visiting worship team comes in. But this is so important to help us stay connected, but also to keep us fresh in worship. Because worship's not about a style. It's not about a personality. It's not even about the songs we sing. Worship is so that we can just communicate our affection to God. And we do that all day long, all week long. But on Sunday mornings, we get to do it together. And there's something special about that. And so for the worship teams, and Todd, as you've helped coordinate it, thank you very much for all that you guys do. Okay, open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 87. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the Psalm series. I have. It has been just a phenomenal thing, because in the Psalms we see real people facing real challenges, real blessings, great things are happening in their life, and some awful things are happening in their life. And yet we see this grittiness, this very real sense of fighting for their faith and keeping God in the right place, no matter what's going on in their life. 
And I think what a, what a goal for us. Let's keep God in the right place. No matter what happens in our life. And in Psalm 87, it is such a great psalm because God is speaking over His people. There's a proclamation that is given in Psalm 87 that the people of God are something in God's eyes and that we're to be something before Him. And if we're the people that give up easily, if we're the people that get discouraged or get bitter or or are unable to function as God wants us to function as free people living in the blessings of God, we're not able to be the people of God that He's called us to be. And so in Psalm 87, we see this great envisioning of the glorious city. And so let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and say, Lord, speak to us specifically today that, God, we might be your people and that we, you might be our God that we always put in the right place, first place above all things. And that no matter what's going on in our life, we can have the grittiness of faith that isn't some cheap, shallow veneer, but it's a deep down, heartfelt, transforming, spirit-given life Amen. that echoes the very, the very sounds and words of heaven are echoed in our souls and our spirits and in our voices and in our actions. This is the church of God. People of the not yet living in the now. Let's pray and ask God to awaken and impart into our hearts these truths. Father, we thank you, God, for just all that you are. God, thank you for this fellowship of churches, God, who you have blessed, and we are grateful. Thank you, Lord, for each who serve here. Lord, I honored a few, but God, there are so many, oh God, that give their lives to your church, to your people. They live sacrificially. God, they live in faith. And God, I'm just grateful for communities that can reflect the songs of heaven. Thank you for your psalms, God, that that show us what those songs are like. And we pray, God, that as we go through your word, that your word would go through us. God, that we would be heavenly people, living your kingdom on earth right now, even as it is in heaven. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's read Psalm 87. Psalm 87 of the sons of Korah. It's a psalm. It's a song. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. For the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush. And they will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born of her, and the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. And as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Amen. This um, psalm is filled with imagery that isn't exactly translatable to our culture and our time because... Um, we don't live near Zion. Let me just talk about Zion for a second because um, we see in the Scriptures for the first time, actually, the, city, the fortress of Zion being referenced. It's in Second Samuel 5, and it says this, the king, that's David, he and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites and, who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> you and your stupid little pathetic army. The blind and the lame could defend a city against you. So obviously the Jebusites did not think much 
of the people of God as they approached. They thought to themselves, David cannot get in here. Verse 7, nevertheless. Don't you love it when God says nevertheless? Seriously, you're a complete disaster. There's no way that you can get anything done for eternal purposes. Nevertheless, God has chosen you for His sacred and precious purposes. Seriously, you failed over and over and over again. You have this pitiful little army. Nevertheless, God has picked you. He's chosen you to do great things. He took from the smallest, whether it was Gideon or whether it was, was, was you, the least and the most unlikely. And he said, nevertheless. And what I love about this scripture, he could have indulged it so much and there was a great battle and this happened and that happened. He doesn't. He simply says, nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. You know, things that seem so big and impossible and awful, whether it's a hurt in our heart, we're like, I am so hurt right now. I'm so offended. I, I just, this bitterness is out of control in my heart. I just, it's just too much. It's going to take a lifetime for God to heal me of that. Yes. Nevertheless, <laughs> David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. When we look at churches, we think, man, how, I, for me, it, it is a phenomenon I don't understand. How do churches work? You take a group of people and you send them into an area and you say, hey, go get them. Good luck with that. (laughs) But nevertheless, nevertheless, we have convocations, we have gatherings like this. We look around and I think, when I first walked in, I thought, there's too many chairs in here. This is going to be a problem. It's going to be like half empty. Nevertheless, the place is full with all our children crying in the hallway. (laughs) It's precious how God does it. We can seem so weak and so feeble, and other people can look at you and say, man, with my eyes, I I could take you with my eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back. I could stick out my tongue and you will be defeated. (laughs) Nevertheless, God has this way of taking such little, small things and doing such great, wonderful things in it. It's precious. Yeah, let's applaud the Lord. Thank you, God. (laughs) Nevertheless. And listen, here's what happens. That army's coming and they're like, it's just, it's not going to happen. You guys are pathetic. David captures the fortress of Zion and immediately the next chapter, it says he brings the Ark of the Covenant. This thing which is the precious presence of God. This powerful presence that will, will bring to the knees all the nations of the earth. And God's presence is brought into the city of Zion, into the fortress. And David builds a palace there. And it becomes known as the city of David. And over the years, not just the fortress, but the city. And then Solomon builds a temple there. And that mountain, Jerusalem, is viewed as the city of God, Zion. And certainly this psalmist, as they write, they had that in mind when it says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion. Glorious things are said of her. The ESV says, glorious things of her are spoken. This place where God's presence dwells, where He is worshipped, where His people are, glorious things are said of her. You know, Zion became known, and as these Psalms progressed, it became not just this place where the presence of God was, but all those, no matter where they were, they're in Babylon in captivity, or they were spread out among the Gentiles, 
They would look to Zion as their place of hope. They would look to Zion as their place of deliverance. Because they knew where the presence of God was and where the people of God gathered. There was hope and there was power and there was the ability to transform even the most impossible situation. Glorious things are spoken of her. Precious, precious, precious is this place where God's presence dwells. You turn to the New Testament. In Hebrews 12, it says this. He's talking to New Testament Christians. He's talking to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking to those who have have left the world of darkness and come into what the Bible says is glorious light, a new life in Christ. Philippians says, man, the old life is dead and I've come into something brand new. He's referring to it. And he says to the Hebrews, because in the Hebrew mind, they understood what it meant to, to look to Zion, to look to Jerusalem. But I've never been to Jerusalem. Some of you may have been there. But we see in Christ a new understanding of what it means to look to God, to His holy presence, to His place, to the city of God, where glorious things are spoken of. And read with me, Hebrews 12, verse 22. But you, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. There's a new understanding of where we look for hope, of where where we see God's presence and God's power. But you have come to Mount Zion. He's referencing this place. The heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. He's painting a picture of this glorious place. Thousands upon thousands of angels in glorious assembly. To the church of the firstborn. Who is the firstborn? Who is the firstborn? Come on, who's the firstborn? Jesus. You know, it's not wrong to be zealous as long as it's used for doing good. Jesus. Who's the firstborn? Jesus. Thank you. He's the name above all names and should be spoken of louder than any other name. To the church of the firstborn, our Jesus, whose names are written in heaven. God's people, their names, your names are written in heaven. They have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Boy, there's there's so much in that passage, but I just want to comment on this passage to say this. The people of God, we come to Mount Zion, but it's not necessarily where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It's where the presence of God dwells. And the presence of God dwells amongst His people. Glorious things are spoken of God's people. Where His presence dwells. Where His power resides. Where Christ's blood, which is better than the blood of Abel. Why is it better? Because Abel's blood cried out for justice against his brother. But Christ's blood cries out for mercy on our behalf. For grace for those pathetic soldiers trying to take the fortress. And in Christ, everything is different. Things are changed. Things are new. It's important that we understand that because 
I want you just to see for a moment what the Lord is speaking over His people. Let's look at it again. It says that He has set His foundation on the holy mountain. For the Lord loves the gates of Zion. As He loved the gates of Jerusalem, how much more in Christ does He love the door that enters into the people of God? He loves the doors that bring Him to the people of God. Can you feel the affection of God in those words? He loves the doors. He loves the doors that He can open that bring Him to you, Johnny. He loves the doors that He can open that bring Him into your life. Revelation is beautiful. It says, Jesus holds the keys and He can open the door that no one can shut. The work of God in you is motivated by love, not pity. And the door that He's opened for you into eternal, spiritual, powerful things is a door that He's opened that no one else can shut. He loves the doors that bring Him to you. He rejoices over them, as a matter of fact. He's passionate for His church. Glorious things are spoken of her. Glorious things are spoken of you, people of God. Glorious things. I stand up here. Maybe I can see some of them and speak of them. I did this once, and Mallory Powell was sitting there. I gave her a bad neck. I think she had to go see a chiropractor. (laughs) Glorious things are spoken of His people. In God's heart, He longs to do great, exceedingly abundantly more than we'd ask or imagine. Where is our faith? Where is our passion? Where is our sense of purposeful sacrifice to see glorious things happen? I read this psalm and my heart rejoices because I know that God rejoices in all that He'll do, speaking gloriously over His people. Because He delights in the doorways it brings Him to us. When I consider the church, when I consider my life, I think, man, God, have you chosen wisely? God, have you really made the right choice in that? Because if you're anything like me, you know your sin only too well. And we know that Christ died for our sin. We're not prisoner to sin. And yet the, the issue of indwelling sin in the life of the believer, that those who would, would be spoken gloriously over, is very much evident in our lives. And when I read verse 1, I just had to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Because that he said that He has set His foundation on the holy mountain. The things that God wants to do, the things that God is doing among us, Let's just talk about us. These are truths for all of God's church. But let's talk about our family. The things that God is doing among us, it is He who has set the foundation for those things. Oh God, for a deeper revelation of grace and mercy to say, the things that God has set in foundation, we can participate, we can give ourselves to. And that God delights to see His people doing what they can never do on their own. When we talk about foundations, we have to look we have to look to Ephesians 2. It says, Now there is no longer strangers or foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and we are members of God's household. It's Ephesians 2, starting at 19. Members of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple, in the Lord. Can you see the imagery now? Suddenly the presence of God and the, 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 the power of God being in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. We see this imagery now in Ephesians. It says, 
It grows into a holy temple in whom you also are being built together to be a dwelling place for God. Boy, in the Psalms, we, we see such, almost the unthinkable happen. Almost the unthinkable. That a holy, precious God, who needs nothing, who is not, who is not limited or, or in need of our aid or our worship, but He in His sovereign love chooses a people for Himself. He does. He chooses. And He begins to delight in them. And throughout all these psalms, I hope you've seen it over this series, that the delight of God is pouring onto His people and the response of God's people is delight back in Him. There's no other religion in the world like this where God is delighting in His people and His people are delighting back. All of creation screams out of God's design, of who God is, even the family. Our families are designed so that we would see Parents delighting in their children and children delighting in their parents. We have a heavenly father who delights in us and does his children delight in him. He delights in us, not on our merits, but because there is a chief cornerstone and that chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And it's his blood, by his blood that we approach. And it's his gospel that we communicate. And it takes away all striving. And it takes away all condemnation. And it takes away all, any sense of failure because we know the foundations are Christ. And this foundation was established by God and the gates of which He loves because His people dwell there. You are a holy temple. You are God's chosen people to carry His presence, to live in hope, and to by faith in Jesus Proclaim a kingdom that can never be shaken. And even as God is glorious, we ourselves are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Let me encourage you, people of God, don't give up. Never give up. Because God is glorious and He's speaking glorious things over His people. And I think of where we've gotten today as churches. Many of you have been planted out from churches and I commend you for that. I bless you for that because you've walked in faith. It's not easy though. As we step forward in faith and as we see more churches planted, as we work with the different leadership dynamics, and I'm humbled by the word that Chad brought today about honoring leadership and not resenting them. Because you know what? Leadership, leadership is like David trying to take the fortress of Zion. There are tons of people. There are tons of... The devil himself would say, I could knock you down blindfolded and lame. Nevertheless. And in your life, in your life, whatever it is, and if it is leadership, nevertheless, God can use your leaders to bless your life. Do you believe that? As imperfect as they may be. Because God's in the business of taking soldiers like David and all of his army and saying glorious things will be spoken of them, even the most unlikely. John and I are going to Argentina in a few minutes. John's on the edge of his seat, which means those minutes are approaching. Look, how, look what God is doing. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge it. 
It's talking about Babylon, a mighty nation to the north, and Egypt, a mighty nation to the south. Philistia, all we were, when you think of Philistine, what do you think? Goliath. But here the Lord's speaking to his people. He's saying this from the most unlikely places, from what you perceive as your enemies, from the strongholds of this world of Babylon and Egypt. I'm doing something. I'm saying that there's one that though I'm pointing at you, Mr. Stromberg, just as a, you know, for instance. Though you live outside of the people of God, I'm going to say that you're born in Zion. And God is going across the most unlikely places and He's saying, I choose this one. I choose this one. I am drawing them to myself. As a matter of fact, I'm saying what is not as if it were. That one will be born in Zion. This one will be born in Zion. That one will be born in Zion. You and you and you and you. And he is drawing to himself people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Every suburb, every neighborhood, every business, every corporation, every job site. He's saying, this one's mine. 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 mine." And the foundations are his. And the glory is His and He shares it with His church. But when I read that, I think of something very, very, very radical. That even in our midst, there are the most unlikely people that we would never choose, that we would never even think could be dynamic in God. And God is saying, that one's mine. This one's mine. And that we as a people of God, you know, early in the Psalms, and for many of the people, they didn't have this deep revelation of God's, God's love being for all the world. They didn't have it. Even King David, his big thing was personal purity and worship to God in Jerusalem. But as the Psalms progress, we see this theme developing, which echoes way back to when God spoke to Abraham, that you will be blessed, but through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Oh God, that we would echo those things in our heart, that we would know that all around us, God is calling people to himself. Not because we're persuasive or because our, our, our churches are real polished, clean, and you know everyone's going to want to come because God is doing a divine work in people's lives. But God's people need to be in faith to say that when one comes from Philistia, when one comes up from Egypt, when one comes down from Babylon, when Paul from Tarsus comes into the people of God, they're afraid of him and they say, we don't want anything to do with him because he once persecuted the church. And it was Barnabas, son of encouragement, who said, no, 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 wait a second. Come see my brother Paul. God has transformed his life. How many Barnabases do we have here? How many? How many Peters do we have here that after a little while you stop eating with Gentiles because you rather fall back into your clique, into your holy huddle? God is saying that I'm calling people out of all the most unlikely places. And he wants his people to delight in that. He wants his people to respond to that. He wants his people to preach the gospel in all those places so that those who are called, those who he's choosing, whose foundations he will build, that we can be a part of their salvation. I long for the day when this building is way too small for us. Way too small. And it's so easy for us to, uh, to lose, lose this passion for the nations, for the neighborhoods, for the job sites, and fall into just doing church. 
getting offended or fighting or spending all our energies about maintaining community when our, when our love should be for one another and our energy should be to say, God is calling people out of all these places. I want to be there to bring them to the community of God. I want to be the one who's there, who says, hey, come on over here. i got a good spot for you. I can tell God's working in your life. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. And when God says to you, this one is mine, it means you belong. Amen? Amen. How many people want to belong to the Lord? Yeah, I do. It means everything. And our hearts and our minds are so fickle and so frail. And we sometimes we feel like outsiders and things happen. And we feel like, I'm not in good standing. I'm not doing the right thing in the church. I'm not one of the favorites. I'm not, oh, I've got to do something good so that they'll like me again. I got, our minds do these ridiculous things to us. When the Lord is speaking to you, He says, you're mine. And so, needless to say, you have a place among my people. Needless to say, you have a place among my people. Because I've said it. You and you and you and you. You're mine. I'm going to end here. But I want to end with the way the psalm ends. Verse 7, it says, As they make music, they will sing. All my fountains are in you. All my fountains are in you. Let us never stop being churches whose fountains are in the Lord. All, his, all my fountains are in you. Lord, you're my source of life. All that we have comes from you. All my joy, all my power, all my strength comes from you. I was at a um, Skillet Toby Mac concert. I told some of you that. We listened to the sound check earlier this morning. It was a very profound, inspired sound check. And it was a rock concert beyond all rock concerts. I'm serious. My ears are still ringing. God bless them. My ears started to bleed. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a great time. But it could have just been a rock concert. And it could have been a rock concert whose themes were about the Lord. But I was so blessed by both those guys, John Cooper and Toby Mack. Because both of them took special, special time in the midst of all the screaming and yelling and shouting to say, tonight, we're about Jesus. And Toby Mac said it so well. He says, when you leave this building tonight, I guarantee the skillet guys don't want the name to be on your lips to be skillet. And I definitely don't want the name to be on your lips to be Toby Mac. But when you leave this place tonight, they said, the one name that needs to be on your lips is Jesus. Jesus. Let's make sure we're diligent that of all the things we do, of all the things we involve in His churches, that that name, Jesus, stays precious on our lips, that it flows naturally from our heart, that our prophetic songs are about Jesus, that our service to one another is about Jesus, that our love and our forgiveness of one another when offenses come, it's because Jesus first loved us. And we found forgiveness and love in Him. And that the name above all names and all our fountains, all our life, all our joy will be that Jesus is our all in all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me and let's pray. And John's going to lead us in communion. Father, we just thank You. Lord, I thank you for anyone here struggling with a sense of belonging, wondering where they fit in.
if they really belong. Maybe it's because they've not really committed or maybe it's because they've had an argument with someone. Maybe it's because they're insecure because in their own life they're not seeing the purity and the holiness they long to see already. Whatever the reason is, God, Lord, I pray for them that, God, there would be, there would be a death to doubt about whether or not they belong. Certainly whether or not they belong to you and even, God, whether or not they belong to us in these churches. This is your family, God, built on your foundations, which is Christ Jesus. And you play no favorites. There is no favoritism. That when you say this one is mine, to the rest of us it means that one is ours. And so, God, I pray for them. And I ask you, even now, Spirit of God, set them free from the torture of wondering if they belong or if they don't belong. God, I pray that we as churches would move with such great faith that as you speak over us your love, that you love the gates of Zion. Glorious things are spoken of us, your church, your people. God, we admit that it's not because of our own greatness, but it's because of Jesus and the redeeming work of his blood and the power of the Holy Spirit that is ours, that brings to us the age to come, even though, Lord, we yet live in this evil age in the present. Fill us with your love. Lord, equip us, God, and commission us afresh, we pray. In your name, amen.